Welcome to Stuck in Development, the podcast where two media strategy nerds dissect what's developing in the world of entertainment. I'm your host, Carl, and with me, as always, is Eitan. Hey, Eitan. Hey, Carl. How are you? I am kind of perplexed by this new Zoom feature you've been using where it turns your hand signals into emoticons. So of course, it's not working. It was working when you were just raising your hand earlier and it looked like a raised hand. Okay, there we go. Yeah. I think it's not that yeah. new, no? It recognizes hands up and thumbs up. But yeah, there are times that I'm I've, just talking. I have not used it. And I'm moving my hands and I see it, it has like this UX way that it's letting you know like, oh, if, if you keep doing that, we'll oh. send this emoji. So I stop moving my hands and I become very static. And now my hand is up. <laughs> so you're letting the AI control you? A little bit. That's what I'm hearing? A like bit. it's modifying your behavior? Yeah. Spooky stuff. Very spooky. Yeah. Uh, you have a good weekend? It was a weird weekend because it was very rainy and I also didn't see anything in the movies. I didn't find anything to watch. And maybe I guess that's a good way to, to start with a wow, 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 But yesterday, I turned on kind of my side light, turned off all the other lights. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I think it's time to rewatch Dune. Oh. And cool. I feel like. First, seeing it with subtitles really changed the experience. <laughs> That's a very difficult movie between the weird words and how loud the music is. Life-changing. Like, I knew this was a... I really enjoyed it the first time around. Really enjoyed it in the movie theaters. It was, of course, one of those, like, this is such a well-done movie everywhere. And this one allowed me to understand a little bit more how I specifically relate to it in terms of, like, what I enjoy and the mm-hmm. where I landed on is that I think if I was Dennis Villanelle, which of course I am, I think I would have finished it right after when the Harkonnens come back into Arrakis and like, you know, destroy everything and the father gets like semi-kidnapped or whatever. And then you see them escaping into the desert. Because I realized that I... I'm very interested in like the uh, I'm gonna mess it up like the Atreides like these guys family yeah. and homeworld and understanding a little bit more of like the empire and these family weirdlings that they have to like just completely like move past super quickly to get into the desert mm-hmm. and that part was awesome and I think there are these side characters that you know at the end of the day. Uh, it can make a, a movie very strong if you have side characters that even if they don't appear as long, they are they are strong in their own right. But I think uh, Josh Brolin's and Jason Momoa's characters are awesome. Like they're great, and they add depth there. to the car- to the main characters, and they have like a combined seven minutes of screen. Yeah, it's shockingly, two of the best performances that those two have given yeah and in the film yeah yeah and but and 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 the the desert the desert part is just plagued with like set scenes that don't advance the plot like the whole scene where they go so they first survive and they're outside and then they get rescued by (laughs) talking about ridiculous names right they all have like very advanced names haraki satredis and then one guy is called duncan idaho duncan idaho (laughs) yeah and one is paul and Jessica, but because this whole set where they go to like this ecological plant and whatever, 
and they keep they stay after them and then nothing happens mm-hmm. which is just like you're, you were extending it for no reason and we rushed the first part so I completely get Doom yeah. very complex difficult to do great choice but again this is coming from I think from my perspective I would have really enjoyed it if it was a 2 and 15 minute hour movies about their the Empire the Harkonnens the Atreides getting to the world understanding the the, the right all the crazy things that could happen. You have the first worm sequence. It's building, building, building. And then suddenly it's like almost the the cliffhanger for the end. It's like the Empire. Um, uh, they were, they betrayed them. They partnered with the Harakis or whatever, came back, killed everyone. Paul and the mother have to live into the desert. And, and it can end the same way that it ends, which is them walking in the deserts and looking back and being like, I don't know what's next. But I don't know. But really enjoyed it. Like I was very glad I watched it. I think I'm gonna probably rewatch it every couple of months, especially in advance of the second one, because it's I really liked. It. I still think Timothy Chalamet is the weakest part of it, but um it's it, good. That sort of role is pretty much always a thankless role, I think, of being the hero I mean the, the classic Kembellian hero whose entire personality is being the hero. I think especially like Sure. I think Daisy Ridley is one of the people who has done it the best just because she brings a lot of emotional depth to Ray, but contrast that with Mark Hamill in A New Hope, who is honestly pretty terrible. That's my perspective on that. Come at me. It's just, you have to, there has to be something to hook into that's interesting besides I am perfect chosen one, right? And I mean, it's a it's yeah. a shade of the Superman problem too. Just if if they're just destined to win, then what's interesting? Knowing what I know about the the back half of Dune, I think hopefully there's room for some dark darkness and depth in Chalamet's performance and character, which I have seen him give in roles. So I'm excited to see that. Uh, you talking about the scene where they go to the 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 lab and and. It's just kind of a, a random journey. That's interesting because I actually also watched a very long Denis Villeneuve movie again for the uh, like fourth time this weekend or this week. Prisoners. Never seen Prisoners somehow. I know. I, I oh. that's okay. that's a rainy sad. Uh, and you didn't watch Sicario, I guess. Basically, I, I did not. I watched Blade Runner twenty forty nine because my mother in law was okay. had stopped by. For the evening and she wanted to watch a movie and she chose Blade Runner 2049 which I wasn't going to argue with but that was a three hour sure. commitment. If she has seen it. She loves the first Blade Runner. She likes this one. Uh, still stands as to me one of the absolute greatest Lego sequels that also isn't it's it's certainly meta in how it approaches it but it doesn't feel like something like The Last Jedi where it's a rejection of the franchise, but it also doesn't seem like a perfect cookie-cutter boring recreation, like like a Top Gun Maverick at that sure. form's best. It's it's really just like so much of Blade Runner 2049 is they, like Kay and the LAPD uncovering the previous film, and then all these actors that are aware of the previous film trying to encroach upon it to to close close up some loose ends which is such an interesting structure because it allows you to have your own emotional story and something that struck me while watching it is so so much of 
the film, I think a lot of the set pieces are designed to be things that Villeneuve is emotionally interested in as a filmmaker. And a lot of the things in Dune that feel tacked on are not emotional and just seem to be set pieces for the, the point of set pieces that aren't that interesting. So I think that is a weaker thing. I'm sure it's a lot easier to sell people watching a three-hour Blade Runner sequel on being a little loose and weird <laughs> with the story and just kind of focusing on the emotions than it is to try and create a massive blockbuster that is trying to adapt something unadaptable, right? Yeah. Admirable of effort. I think the first Dune is great, though it's really half a movie. And I think your your analysis of yeah. where to end it, pretty spot on. I don't see a reason why they couldn't do that last 10 minutes at the first 10 minutes of the next film or just kind of glide over it. Yeah. And the, like, don't get me wrong, that ecological part has the part of like, yeah, you know, Duncan Idaho dies, sacrifices himself or whatever. But it's like, there are so many moments. The emotional connection was created before. But now that you've mentioned this, I guess, I mean, I knew that was his last movie before making Dune, but after watching Dune and Blade Runner 2049, I think I watched it a couple of weeks ago for the first time, it, it almost feels like him testing what it would take I agree. to make Dune. Right? So much of the beginning is very, like, hazy. All of those dark scenes and, and you know, machines moving and it feels like a lot of what would be my vision for Dune is probably in these types of things. Of course, a very difficult different future right in the in dune there is this weird scene where there is like this crazy machine that travels faster than light and they talk about bending time and space but they don't have a way to protect themselves from the water and it's like God, yeah. what is happening here like how come we this type of technology developed and not this other versus 2049 that is like a a more traditional you know vision of what the 2500 well whatever i guess 2049 but what the world could look like in a hundred years as opposed to millennia but um yeah did dune 2 is supposed to be this december i i'm pretty sure i didn't i chose dune as winning best picture right as a return of the king yeah yeah let's see if it actually is coming out this year but and we also i guess we didn't talk about it they haven't said this is already they haven't said if this is a return of the king situation where this is the last one right it is the last of the planned adaptation of the first book of the f- and the other books okay. are much stranger. Paul, spoilers, becomes more or less a villain of the franchise after this one. So I think Warder was just try- was just trying to get a movie made of this this film because nobody else has managed to crack it. Uh, your your point about Villeneuve using 2049 as a test run is interesting because I don't know about you, but I got think of Villeneuve as a sci-fi director, even though the majority of his films are not sci-fi films. I think just he has, yeah, he's just established such a clear design sensibility and such a clear, like he has a very cold but emotional core to all of the sci-fi films in a way that is more effective than say interstellar a film i love for being overly melodramatic and really selling some stuff that that gets me but i i think just villeneuve is a much more effortless filmmaker when it comes to sci-fi than 
Nolan, the most effortful filmmaker currently working. So, yeah, that, that's an interesting observation. I'm excited to see the next one. I'm also more excited to see what he does next. And who knows what that'll be. Yeah. Yeah, because he's these these three, you know, Arrival, Blade Runner 2049, and Dune as three straight movies have to be pretty up there in terms of, like, adapting three very different type of sci-fi. Very yeah. different type of sci-fi. Wildly. Right? In Arrival, you're taking a super short story that is focused on, like, language and translation and family and blowing it off to be a two-hour thing versus Blade Runner, right? You, you mentioned the sequel and these type of things. And then taking Dune, like, the unadaptable, humongous legacy, complicated mixture of almost a medieval house, you know, house versus house sci-fi, um, and doing all those three quite successfully, of course, also being uh, the writer and producer of Dune. But, yeah, we don't know what he's doing after part two. We do not. And I think your point, it is interesting that each one of those films is softer sci-fi than the previous film. And yeah. I think a wider audience, therefore, because of the softness of the sci-fi. But, yeah, if you told me the director of Sicario is making a sci-fi, I would be like, yeah. oh my god. How many people are going to die? Much less has specialized be... <laughs> in that over the last three film, four films of his. And sure. it's also notable sure. that I on this kind of 2049 to Dune linkage, 2049 is really cleverly subverting the Chosen One narrative throughout, where there, the beauty of 2049 is that there's, just like the beauty of Blade Runner, is you can interpret it in a bunch of different ways. But it is clear that K, the central cyborg at, at the, the center of Blade Runner 2049, thinks that he might be more special than he is and kind of a chosen one figure. And the, I think the emotions of the ending are this guy realizing that he's not that, but he can still give his life for something that is that. And that's so interesting to really interrogate that and think about that and, and make something really compelling out of that milieu. And then to just go and do like the classic chosen one, like Dune thing. <laughs> Truly the most Like classic. the thing Luke Skywalker is ripping again, off, right? Among, yeah. Yeah, but also to the point about the, the subtitles, the first time I watched it, I didn't caught on it that much. And I think it's truly because I didn't yeah. understand the words. Uh, also, anyway, because there is also like seven ways that they say the one in like right. different languages, and it's not as easy to take from the from like the exquisite the cataract. Yeah, this was a this has been a very long half. A uh, wow, what did yeah. you watch? So, it's actually a good lead into what I watched this weekend because I watched a, another film that has a classic Hollywood formula, kind of the, the picaresque, the Odyssean format of a, of a character being put in increasingly heightened vignettes, situations, and then that all coming to some sort of resolution. I'm, of course, referring to Ari Aster's Bo is Afraid, a 
certainly one of the more challenging films I've seen in a few years, but one of the more challenging films that also felt emotionally rewarding in the end, which surprised me. Okay. Uh, I I love Midsummer. Mid, I'm actually two thirds of the way through rewatching Midsummer right now. Uh, it is one of my favorite films of the last decade. I think it is a masterful work that shows a lot of promise for, as a director. And Bo is Afraid is incredibly indulgent. It is often stressful, even more often challenging. But it did not shake me from the feeling that Ari Aster is like a PTA level generational talent. Like just he has such an intuitive grasp of what to do and how to command tone. And every second of Bo is Afraid, I was exactly where I needed to be to make the emotions work. Even when things didn't make sense, ultimately they made enough emotional sense that there was a clear superstructure to the thing that really made all the heightened bullshit feel earned. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a flawless film. It is a film that makes some juvenile decisions that really frustrated me in the moment. But ultimately, I really came away impressed that he pulled such a strange, ambitious thing off in a way that, uh, like, Darren As- Aronofsky's mother, or I'm thinking of anything from Charlie Kaufman, like, these, those films just annoy me and don't actually, <laughs> or men from last year, the Alex Garland film, like, we've had a huge slate of directors getting to make weird batshit things that don't make sense, but this actually made sense. So I was really happy to see it. Uh, you should not see it. It is not for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I, I was I was joking. Anything with the name Ari Aster uh, attached to it, even if like one kilometer away, is likely out of my comfort zone. But this was also the first weekend that it went wide. Yes, it went right? wide. So maybe... Uh, do you want to keep spoilers till next Yes, week? I do want to... I do want to keep spoilers to it. Um, I mean, honestly, it is a film that I would prefer not to spoil because I do find it to be... Excuse me. Sorry. It's a film I prefer not to spoil just because I think that what happens is rewarding enough on its own and, and genuinely shocking and comes out of nowhere. So, yeah. But... All that said, I was impressed with the fact that it all made a certain amount of sense in the end. Uh, there's the strangest decision is that every single person in the film is a comedy or or Broadway actor for the most part, except for Joaquin. Uh, Joaquin's playing it very straight. So like Shumika, though. Yeah, it, it feels like that. That's what do you think? We're is that where Ari Aster got his uh, his idea for for this? Maybe like you have Nathan Lane and uh, <laughs> Patty Lapone and. All these people that, like, literally could have appeared in the diner scene of um, Tick, Tick, Boom effortlessly, showing up in this, giving weirdly heightened performances, and there's a reason for why there's this mismatch and tone between their over-the-top energy and Joaquin doing his, I don't know, sub-Joker master quiet strange thing. Yeah. This is... Yeah, is this the only thing Joaquin, Joaquin is doing? Oh no, he did. Uh, oh, what did he do? Oh, what's the name of his white and black and white movie from last year? Oh, come on, come on, the Mike Nelson film, which yeah. I've not seen. I so he see. did. He did. 
did he do is it joker come on come on boys afraid joker 2 uh sorry fully ado yes <laughs> fully ado and then napoleon oh uh, yeah sorry yes first. napoleon yes napoleon and then okay okay, okay. yeah uh, and yeah that's pretty good i mean he seems to be playing a normal person and come on come on uh, what i know about napoleon bonaparte he's not a normal person <laughs> to say the least um Something very excited happened this weekend when you reached out to me and you told me that <laughs> you had a friend staying over with you that was a subscriber to MoviePass. So I think you got a ton of exposure to MoviePass, to the latest iteration of MoviePass and what it is and what it isn't and how it works or doesn't work. I'm really curious to hear more about this. I was talking to a friend of the show, Lily Ramsey, one of uh, Alex and I's closest friends, about... We were going to go see Bo is Afraid this weekend. She was in town for a little bit on Friday. And we were talking about her viewing habits. She used to be a Regal Unlimited loyalist because she lives in Knoxville, home of Regal Cinemas, and therefore home to like a dozen Regal Cinemas near the Knoxville Metro. Funny story, the only Regal in Boston closed last week. Wow. That does not surprise me. I'm honestly shocked that they're still kicking because they have been teetering <laughs> on the edge for a bit. So I was talking to her about it, and she actually mentioned that she'd been seeing fewer movies, and she actually switched over to MoviePass because it was cheaper and it fit her needs a little better. And my eyes lit up because I haven't met anybody with new MoviePass. Have, have you? No. Yeah. No, no, no. So I will... I'm gonna. I got her permission. I think you're gonna hear me asking for permission, but I'll play the recording of my field interview with her. Right now, this is the landing screen, and then you've got your credits up here to the top right. Do you know how that works? No. What is a credit worth? Okay, you get 34 credits a month. How many, how many yeah. screenings and is then, that? Random and then it's like, if you were to go in here and say, I wanted to watch the Super Mario Bros. movie. Uh -huh. If you wanted to go on Saturday, tomorrow at 2.20 at the yep. Draft House at South Lamar, it's 20 credits. Okay, so okay. You, you get... So, but then if I were to go on a Tuesday or something like that, it would only be like maybe 10 or 15, depending on the movie. This is literally the exact same model as class pass, the workout class. I love Alex coming in from far away. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like... So in order to see it during primetime tomorrow on an Alamo Draft House, I would have to spend more than half of the month's credits. Yeah, but again, remember, this ticket, this Regal Westgate Stadium, it's 30 credits. That ticket's probably $14. And I only right. pay $10 totally, a month, right? Totally so te technically, you still save money on So it. what happens if you click on one? So if you click on one, what happens is, is you're too far from the theater, so you have to be kind of close. I think it's within like a two-mile oh, radius. Do you have to go to the theater and And then check it. in and then pay with the car. So you can't get it ahead of time. No, you can get it two hours ahead of time. Okay. Before an Alamo draft house, like these things sell out like a week in advance. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for this one, if you were to go to the one on Mueller. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So and it's like it's, the, and this the old is, movie this pass is, is like that, but you could go that day. So Super Mario, that's the Super Mario movie. Which one's been out the longest here? Uh, Air, probably. Okay, yeah. Maybe John Wick, but yeah. Here we go. Uh, yeah. Matinees are 10, prime times are 30. Okay, at a worst And I've seen, him at, I've seen him as low as 10. And on average, if you go during the week, they're like 15. For the, for the Regal downtown that I've been to. Okay. But yeah, it was a little weird. And it was easy to cancel and get the credits refunded. So like, 
I bought one too early. And I was like, wow. shoot. And so then I just went in and I canceled it. They have and decent they, customer service now? No, no, no. It just happened automatically because I didn't ever use my card. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But, and then like, um, it was pretty straightforward. Uh, like I, two hours of four seemed pretty reasonable. Do you have your card with you? Uh, I bet I do. Yeah. Here, let me go get my wallet. This is for the show. It's mobile reporting. <laughs> Following the field, field, uh, field journalist, Carl. <laughs> the question is, is, I might have taken it out after my last movie. So. Is it black now? Yeah. Wow. Is it metal? No. <laughs> of course not. not. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Yeah, there it is. Wow. It just says Movie Pass member on it. Beautiful. Yeah. And then. It's funny. Incredible. Yeah. So it's been. So valid through 126, which is like a regular card, you know? Well, yeah. I covered up the number on it. Thank you. But, I figured you can also trade it out. Yeah. I'm not going to post this anywhere except the audio, probably. Do you consent to that? Yeah. Thank you. Beautiful. Very legal. Yeah. Thank you. Carl, this makes no sense. I mean, it makes a movie pass level of sense. <laughs> Who is this for? Let's say you and I are in a whiteboard. Yeah. All alone. You know, we're starting to think about how the hell to do this. Price discrimination 101 or whatever you want. What is the business model? Yeah. To start, how are they making money? I'm guessing it's a similar play to right. before. Of like, we want to have data and then they're going to do something mm -hmm. with the data. Who knows what they're going to do? Is that fair? Yeah, I'm assuming it's it's the do magical data the argument. Okay. Which... The convenient data. Ariela, you know how there is this thing of like the convenient plot witch? Yes. Mm -hmm. in a movie and in, in brave mm -hmm. so this just feels like the convenient data business model that somebody just assess that they're because okay if you want to have data you're going to have people like you and me that are not going to sign up because it's impossible to use we want to sign up in right. advance we want to see the movies that we want to see at the times that work for us and we're willing to pay a little more so we're not going to use it and then if you get people that are consistently willing to do this and, and, and go out of their way to just say, okay, I'm going to see whatever it is that it's available because I need to go in person and I can only do it two hours before. So there aren't going to be a lot of options. They're going to watch a ton of stuff and you're still going to pay the same amount that you would pay to a movie theater as if they bought it a week in advance. So you're saying, I'm going to save money because my users are going to be inconvenienced about my product. And then I'm guessing they're shooting for that in between people, maybe like Lily, that they go once or twice yeah. a month and they save a little bit of money because it's for one. But then what data are you going to get? Right. I They're minimizing their exposure, which I get. It's more responsible, but they're minimizing their exposure so much that then the whole quote-unquote business model that they have for data, it's so far away. Seems like they're doing the, bo the worst of both worlds. I, does that surprise you? Why do, why do I get emotional about movie <laughs> Oh my god, this makes no sense. I mean, just <laughs> because I wanted to like make six sense. months ago, you were joyful that they were returning, and this is what you get, Aton. So yes, I agree with your assessment that the user of this has to be a power user 
in terms of goes to the movies frequently enough that they want to jump through hurdles to save money on going to movies and are willing to go to a matinee in order to do that as opposed to going with four people to a primetime screening of a new movie on a Friday night. The And probably a matinee of also not a new movie. Yeah. I'm assuming that they are... I'm assuming they're trying to scoop some level of additional revenue off of this credit system in terms of... I, I bet the math always works out that you can't perfectly spend all your credits if you, you want to keep doing. Do they... Do they carry over? They do carry over. I'm not sure if you can add more, though. I'm sure you can. I mean, actually, I'm not sure of anything with movie pass. I would as- assume you could, but what does that make anything? You know. <sighs> because this credit, exactly to your point, I think you don't have to go all the way to make it free for all of just pay by credit, right? They could just say pay by credit. If you just want to pay for a matinee, just pay for 10 credits, go mm-hmm. once, do this. That's $3, right? I'm making it up. You do want to bucket it somehow to have some sort of visibility or ability to estimate how the usage is going to look like. But at the same time, who are these power users? Is there an overlap of people that are willing to do the hoops that you were just talking about, but also take the inconvenience of having to go and having to do that for to save. Let's say let's say you're a power user that you're going three times a weekend. Right. Right. You go twelve times a month. Even if you're saying there is a frugal person that doesn't want to spend twenty five, twenty four dollars no. on AMC, he's not even twenty four, right? Because the the markets where movie pie is available is like nineteen. Right. So to save nine dollars, that's probably gas. Of going, having to go in person two hours before to do it and not staying. Yeah, I mean, it was when I had Movie Pass back in the Movie Pass days, it was kind of annoying enough to have to plan my schedule around going in person to pick up a ticket day of for like, I, I would take the last. But it was also unlimited, right? Here, there are credits. Exactly. It's even limited. If uh-huh. I told you, Carl, you're Carl, and for $10, you can watch 20 movies a month, it's like amazing. With this thing, Lily said the lowest she's seen it is 10. So it's max three. I could see I could see a world in which maybe a payments processor makes this work, right? In terms of they work with a theater chain to get a a to, to take less of a, a payments processing fee off the top and they get to keep the rest and that's how they make a margin on top of the, the, the ticket purchase, right? Like I could see something like that working in terms of scooping some financial like intermediary revenue out of a ticket purchase. But the way this stands now is you pay $10 to buy tickets that are at a minimum, probably close to $10. You're having to pay your payment sure. processor to have a debit card that is linked to a movie pass system that is arbitrary and uh, bespoke. You have to pay full price to the theater chains for the inventory because you don't have any deals in place because also all these theater chains kind of hate what you did last time in terms of making the switch to a, a subscription model, even though it actually probably helped a lot in the pandemic. And they also don't trust your business to stay around because you couldn't hack it the last time with the exact same business model, except one that was a little bit more user-friendly. Yeah, there, there's there's nothing to see here. That is so sad. Yeah. 
And I could see this, okay, I could see this as an alternative to the Cinemark plan where it's $10 a month and you get discounted tickets. But even then, sure, sure. At the end of the day, if you were a person that sees a movie two or three times a month, the amount of hurdles you have to go through to see a normal movie at a normal time with this, not worth it. The thing is, I truly, I want to see it from their perspective. I want to give them all the benefits of the doubt. I don't understand why you force people to only do it two hours in advance and in person. What is the point of that? If they're already limited to three at most a month, what do they win as movie pass? They don't because win they want to hope prevent that somebody growth. I, yeah, exactly, exactly. I guess they want to inconvenience people to only go once or twice and not do it three times. Right. But again, if you're buying this, you're probably gonna try to go at least two or three. And then if you again, if you brought them down to two, what is the point? You're not having revenue. Like that, that I would understand. If you say, listen, I still don't believe in the data revenue. But if you were to say, hey, it's three times, but you can get it whenever you want. You just spend the credits. Okay, fine. Yeah. That sounds fair. Yeah, so... I still can only watch one prime time or three in terrible times. But, oh man. Yeah, you, you are opt you're optimizing your data set to be for a really small subset of people that are aggressive deal seekers and also don't represent the majority of the population because they see a movie more than than two or three times a year in a theater. Makes total sense. And yeah, and the and the movie theaters have a better way to do this, right? They have their five dollar marinés or whatever. Exactly. Even if even if that's what you pay to them as AMC, you're still sorry as movie pass, you're still not getting as good data as what AMC is gonna have. Where even if you say, MoviePass, I have data and I'm going to sell it to whatever to identify people that are extreme. How do you say it? I liked it. Extreme value Deal seekers. seekers, yeah. Yeah, AMC is going to have way more. Yeah. So you're losing money to not even have the biggest, because the highest number of people. AMC is able to get this data even with people that don't end up like converting over to an A-list plan through their free stubs membership or even just through email collection, right? Like this data is not a novel data set. Not only that, right? In the world of, I'm, I, I work tangentially in the world of like audience and segment yeah. planning for our segmentation. AMC is able to then split them between planners, quote unquote, that buy those $5 tickets in advance and non-planners that buy it and have to go in person to the AO. MoviePass can't do that. I mean, they can pretend that they can, and I'm sure that they will, but you're right, they can't. The only way they could is they, if they would allow you to buy it in advance. That's even another data point that they're missing. Yeah. So Ugh. what I'm hearing you say is that you're not going to subscribe to Movie Pass anytime soon. Not only that, the thing is like, you and I, we should stop giving ideas, but I think if you and I sit in a room for five minutes, we'll probably come up with a version of this that is called the Criterion Collection of Movie Subscriptions. It's $40 a month. It's at most four tickets, and it's everywhere. Yeah. So it's like, sure, it's more expensive. But if you're someone like you or like me or somebody that wants to go to four movies in a month, the ability to get things in Alamo Draft House, in AMC, in Regal, or somewhere else is worth it. And the ability to still pay for them in advance is still worth it. 
you're still saving money, you're more willing to engage, you're willing to buy everything through them. Well, like there is almost like this. Um, it's not naive, but like blind willingness to say we're gonna work because we're gonna be super cheap. At some point, I think we should do a segment on this show where we just go on LinkedIn and look for people who work at MovieBass and like product <laughs> and see if we can interview them. Because I just love to see the uh, the product manager folks that live that work at MoviePass. It's wild. It's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, anything else on MoviePass before I have a stroke? Uh, I don't think so. I think let's do some quick hit news items. We've got a bunch of firings today, weirdly. An impending writer's strike and something called Murphy the Dragon. Ooh, yes, that's the best part. I can't believe you haven't seen about Murphy the Dragon. Yeah. But let's start with the firings. It's been an interesting day because it's gone all the way from Disney starting the second wave of their layoffs, thousands of people. Very different than Fox News firing Tucker Carlson mm -hmm. all of a sudden and unexpectedly. Yeah. And also very differently than um, Jeff Snell, Snell? Shell. Shell. Uh, leaving NBC Universal, the CEO of NBC Universal, because of um, of a relationship with the woman in the company. But just a weird Monday in the media and entertainment industry. It is. I, I was. I. I mean. I think the weirdest for me was seeing the whiplash of both Don Lemon and Tucker Carlson being let go by their networks for different things, uh, both for their own opinions on air. Lemon, I think, just put his foot in his mouth in a very stupid and dated way, whereas Carlson, there's been a lot of stuff well, coming it's unclear. out. There's... But it's unclear about Tucker Carlson, right? Apparently yeah. the decision was made Friday after they had already settled, like it wasn't part of the settlement. But there was a lot of dirty laundry Who knows? airing sure. the whole time from him. Uh, I don't know. I, I unfortunately think the American, I mean, unfortunately, unfortunately for the state of our democracy... Fortunately, in the case of, I really don't care if Tucker Carlson has a career, but I think the forces of the American right at this point have proven that people like Bill O'Reilly or Megyn Kelly that fall out of favor with the Fox News, DeSantis, Trump, conservative establishment, whatever, unfortunately are rele relegated to the the sidelines of the, the conservative media world, as opposed to being people that are become your, I don't know, your Benjamin Piros, your, who's the Star Wars lady? Gina, her, Carano? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, one of them. Carano, Gina Carano. Uh, those sorts of people. Like, these are people that dissent or disagree with the worst people, so they therefore they are deplatformed by the worst people. So at the end of the day, yeah, I'm Dr. Carlson. I don't know if he's gonna land on his feet because does I don't think there's like a huge audience of people that are sad Tucker Carlson's leaving that also aren't just eating the slop that Fox News is feeding them, right? But it's an interesting thing to observe. Yeah. 
Did you see the meme where the new eight o'clock anchor is gonna be the Logan's assistant from Succession? Oh, funny. No, I have not. At, at ATM. Also, um, I'll link an update for you. The VP of product at Math, uh, not sorry, at MoviePass. There was a Freudian slip of my uh, old company there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, of MoviePass is the original VP of product at MoviePass from 2012 <laughs> through 2017. <laughs> He went to V Universe and then Pre-Show, which became MoviePass 2.0. So the same guy has been running product this whole time. So, uh, yeah, I know who not to go to for my product decisions. Okay. Uh, yeah, this the, the firing slate is so fascinating. Let's talk about this Jeff Shell one for a second because it's studio had misconduct with a female employee something that's very unfortunately stock and trade firing in terms of uh, the modern media landscape but i do want to talk about the implications it has on things like the hulu deal or peacock I, this this guy has been steering the ship for let's see how long has he been the ceo he's he joined in 2015 He's been the CEO since 2020. Okay. So, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, for me, those two ones are great, the two that you mentioned. For me, the first one that came to mind is that NBC Universal is one of those that it's always, well, not always, in the past two years since the Warner Brothers and Discovery, um, you know, spin-off slash merger, has been considered one where that has to make a move, mm -hmm. either acquire someone and get bigger or combine with something else and leave Comcast. Uh, the three usually mentioned, of course, being Warner Brothers Discovery, NBC Universal, and Viacom CBS. And the Hulu part of it is interesting. Like, I think when we've talked about these things, we've always said that the two ones that don't make sense together are Viacom and NBC because both of those have broadcast, uh, while Warner Brothers Discovery doesn't. So Warner Brothers Discovery with either NBC or Viacom mm -hmm. probably sounds and smells a little bit easier. Uh, in terms of Hulu, this doesn't change my mind that my perspective has been that Disney is going to let it die slowly and that there is stuff that we don't know about in those legal terms, again, because NBC is pulling stuff slowly anyway everyone else is pulling stuff anyway mm -hmm. and hulu is trending to just be adult disney which is like fox fx and things like this anyway so there isn't it's like disney just gonna let it die and at some point it's gonna be like yeah well i'm not gonna pay but hulu is gonna be very very small at some point they're gonna make a decision everything that i had on hulu is becoming a disney plus thing and then suddenly everyone is out of the legal without having to do anything. I'm guessing the, the tricky part there is that NBC, there is an agreement where they are going to pay, you know, a ton of a couple of billion dollars to NBCU for their remaining part. And doing this would probably be like, would they? Yeah. But it's super strange. Like the fact that Disney already controls Hulu directly, operationally, the stacks are connected, the ad sales are connected, the segment, like... It's it's just weird. It's and it's com it's it seems like a situation in which three siblings are inheriting a house and one sibling already lives in the house. 
and that sibling legally has to buy the other two out. But at the end of the day, that sibling lives in the house. One of those where there's a clear legal answer, but an unclear practical answer to what's supposed to happen here. Well, why, why would we be a bold take? What's the name of uh, Skaggs and Mayer's company? Yeah. Um, it's whatever's above Moonbug. Candle? Candle something, okay. right? They come in and they offer... Yeah, Candle Media. Three, three. They offer three billion for Hulu, for Disney, for the brand, and Disney and NBC get to take out their content in three to five years and put it wherever they want. Who says no? I mean, I would say no if I was Candle Media, but yes, for sure. I, I don't you think. Do do forty million subscribers? Do you really want to be buying a? content business without the content i mean if you have it for five for four to five years it's not it's not even like and then you don't really even have like a originals pipeline to speak of that's not just from fx or other hello sunshine no i mean well no if they would do it like that oh you mean hulu yeah hulu you're right like you are right you are right they would just turn it to the like coco melon and hello sunshine channel okay i'm basically saying they buy the brand and in that math they pay around a hundred dollars per subscriber okay okay i uh did not think about these synergies there my uh m a hundred dollars per subscriber customer acquisition a hundred dollars there is of course a ton of stuff they have to do for them to not churn but yeah i mean i just don't think the math works out if a hundred dollars per subscriber the ltv of that customer especially after after content starts drying up and it's a it's a retention it's like play. ten dollars a month arpu no hulu between ads and subscription isn't it close to 10 it's like nine something yeah it's 10 months it just i wouldn't want to buy a streaming service right now i i would so much rather be in the content <laughs> licensing game at this point i don't want to be responsible for paying the salaries of product managers who are trying to figure out how to make my service better than anybody else's from a product level because it, it's all a content game today that's okay, i hear you out there i i hear I, you on I, nobody would say no from the like owner's perspective but i don't know who would want to buy this i think nbcu you know the people i think would be like no 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 they have an, an offer sheet to buy it for like 10 billion right where disney has to pay that but they already got permission to take their content out. Their content is not there. No. There has to be something that nobody knows about for good reason. Like, just a legal thing where that thing is never going to happen. Hey, uh, maybe Chicken Soup for the Soul Entertainment, one of the weirdest companies in the world, will, will purchase it. <laughs> you know about them, right? I think so, but remind the least. I mean, it's Chicken Soup for the Soul, the like a book series the that book. was popular like 15 yeah. years ago of just kind of like sub readers digest level stories. They purchased Crackle from Sony years ago. They also quietly purchased Redbox last year. They have a lot of just weird streaming rights. Like they own the North American rights to Laurel and Hardy and Our Gang. Like, it's just this weird conglomerate of a lot of just kind of 
cringe or old content or older formats, you know? But they own quite a bit of stuff that people don't purchase, like want to want to own. So I don't know. I, I I just don't. I if I was Tom's Gags, I'm not gonna buy Hulu. I already tried running that business once. I don't want to run it again. Why not? Is the weirdest thing. Hulu is the thing that everyone wants, but nobody wants. Right. Because everyone has already invested in their own. Nobody wants it. Play. Disney doesn't want it. Disney would love to get everything into Disney Plus and just not pay anymore. But they can't do that because the shareholders are going to get mad that they let a asset that is valueless in practical terms be devalued because they just shut it down and they laid off everyone and they lost all the IP and brand. What IP? I, I know it's again stuck in limbo it's stuck in development yeah hulu was the most stuck, stuck in development streaming forever. service there is because everyone else makes sense all right let's touch on the writer strike very quickly um so the wga east and west with a 98 percent vote have decided that if an agreement is not reached with the the writers guild by may 1st then the that there will be another writer strike Last time this happened, it was around package deals. This time it's around um, just kind of a, a smattering of things like like exhibition and, and streaming rights, like things that are, are good. But what's what what is your your take on on how this affects the industry if this actually goes through? We asked this last time it was about to happen. What do you think is gonna happen? Yeah, I, for me the biggest thing is like I like you mentioned. I we don't have all of the details. We will shoot look into them more and and come back to the listeners next week. The thing that comes to mind is it's in the same vein of what we've been talking about now of MA in the industry, CEOs leaving, Iger back, uh, the agency buying, WWE, like there is a lot of movement in the industry. There is like it's like this moment of flexibility and like pliability for like new players to come in for somebody to take a leadership role Mm -hmm. and usually these times of like union like the example that i think of is like football in american football the last strike that it was is like this moment where all the owners of each team have to work together to figure it out and all the team all the team or the players from all the teams are like one right so in this case it's also like okay how do the studios decide what to offer decide where the lines are yeah. decide what you will not negotiate on and the same for the users and it's like this weird moment that is like who's calling the shots who has the most say what's collusion what's is not he, collusion? is he Iger? Yeah. yeah because now he's the only one that has been there for the last 10 years because nobody kind of uh and i think this is also the moment where everyone has to talk to each other so there are like more water cooler conversation opportunities of like, oh, I was thinking of selling. I was thinking of buying, mm-hmm. you know, like, is there something here? And for me, I the, the thing without more knowledge and context of the strike itself and what they're looking for, that's the thing that comes to mind. That could be interesting. I The, the thing I worry about here is I worry about the momentum of theatrical coming back. I don't think the streaming economy will necessarily take a hit because as much as I just talked about how content is king and you need to have good content and that's what drives good a good streaming service, there's so much bad content out there. And 
one streaming services will still be able to churn out unscripted content at a, at a rate that they were previously and that's not going to be affected and more scripted shows that'll take a hit i think hbo max would certainly take a hit if it wasn't merging with an unscripted platform so maybe that's a blessing in disguise but i really worry about theatrical where there's a longer lead time this means that there's going to be a lot less inventory this time starting this time next year really pushing through through the fall it also seems like a lot of the big blockbusters that have been stuck in development since 2020 or finally landing like killers of the flower moon so i think that just kills a lot of momentum in the super premium theatrical space mm -hmm. and i mean it also means that a lot of people don't get to work for months and months which is not good so right. curious to see how this develops i do want to dig more into what's actually driving this and if a strike happens we will be covering it every week until it closes yeah Hopefully, hopefully good outcomes. Um, you want to do an AUA real quick? You want to ask me what Murphy Yeah, is? who the hell is Murphy the, the dragon? dragon? That's is. my AUA free. So my understanding is that Murphy is the way that the cast members in Disneyland called the Maleficent dragon of Fantasmic. Okay. So not the Maleficent dragon of the parade. They both breathe fire, though. Okay. So I opened TikTok yesterday, Sunday night. And what I see is a Disney dragon completely covered in flames and ablaze. And I was like, when does this happen? Is it like an old thing? Yesterday night, the Maleficent dragon from Fantasmic in Disneyland spectacularly caught on fire. And I can't believe you haven't seen this. Wow. No, I haven't. In, into an insane amount of fire. And you can see the Mickey turning up and just being like, oh, get me out of here. And then he suddenly starts going down. And because Disneyland is Disneyland, there are so many different videos from so many different angles. From so many different like perspectives and memes. And I invite you to search Fantasmic Fire in Google to see what you get. Well, a lot of these videos have been pulled down by Disney, which is funny. What? Yeah, like... Lots of TikTok oh God, links I mean, Yeah. Annoying. Can you imagine being, being in the marketing department? Okay, guys, the dragon caught on fire. Okay. Prepare your copyright infringement. Found a YouTube one. Wow. But a couple of seconds amazing. in, it's like, it's completely on fire. Yeah, it, it's clearly not, uh, it's clearly not intentional. No, 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 of course it's not intentional. Yeah. Wow. No, no, but wait, wait. Are you to the part where it's like... Dripping fire? <laughs> no, 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 wait. Go, go forward a little bit. It feels like it's made of flammable material yeah. in how it catches on yeah, fire. I just saw it kind of explode. Oh, 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 oh. yep. <laughs> okay. I thought it was going to be content I could talk to you about. I'm surprised. Well, that said, it looks like everyone got out of there just okay. Sorry, sorry to disappoint you that I was there. Is, uh, there, is a, there is a there is a water thing between them and the people. That's true. Yeah. In good news for our potential trip, I don't know if we would watch Fantasmic, but the Disney World Dragon doesn't use the same fire mechanism, so they didn't hold that. All the ones in all the parks that use the same mechanism are on pause until they figure out what happened. But the Walt Disney World one doesn't. 
All right. Uh, Follow-up AUA for you. What Disney structure would be the most traumatic for you to witness lit on fire? Oh, that's a good question. I guess I guess they could do it with Splash Mountain now that they're retheming it. <laughs> Just start from scratch. I think, I mean, you know that that's the one with the most nostalgia for me. Yeah. I mean, maybe the Tower of Terror, mm. just because it actually looks like a building. Right. And there's people screaming inside. <laughs> and it's about people dying in it. It's also right next to Fantasma. That's probably so. actually traumatic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I, I can't... The, the Tree of Life in Animal there, That's a good one. <laughs> what would you say? Yeah. Well, I guess if they did the Tree of Life in Animal Kingdom, then they just have to play the... They just have to crank up the... The avatar music, so it's going ba da ba ba. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Very on brand. <laughs> I, I, it's gotta be some Magic Kingdom structure. It's one of the mountains, or I mean, it's it's Big Thunder. It's, no, it's not Big Thunder. Sorry, it's Space Mountain, Splash Mountain, or the castle. It's really the castle. You can't tell me that the castle wouldn't make everyone feel the worst. Yeah, I guess Astro Orbiter can go to hell. <laughs> Do you have an A, uh, A for me? Good. How much would you pay for the version of Movie Pass that exists today? Oh. So, interesting question. I do actually think that $10 is an okay price point for the product in a vacuum where other products don't exist that are better substitutes. Carl, how much would you pay? I would pay $0 for it. Okay, fantastic. I would pay two. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, yeah, I guess I might pay a nominal fee in order to do that. Right. I, I do think it's an appropriate priced product for what it is, even though there's no way it can be successful. So, yeah, I guess if we're trying to price it, then, yeah, you price it at the bare minimum so you get more subscribers, but then they have the operational issues that they had before, and it all falls apart faster. There's no, yeah, there's no way out about I didn't ask about the revenue or how that works, but, again, at the end of the day, they're not in a vacuum. They need to get users that are not paying for what we pay. <clears throat> I'm getting emotional again. This is going to be great. We should leave before I... Now we get a heart attack. Yes, we don't need to get mad or sad at the end of episodes. We talked about yes. that last week. <sighs> I need to do my affirmation. Let's do some affirmation. Let's do some breathing. While we're doing that, thank you everyone for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. And we'll catch you next week. Later. Actually, we might not catch you next week. That is stuck in development currently. But we will catch you within the next two weeks. <laughs> Bye, guys.